Well, great to be in contact with King's Hastings. Thank you so much to Paul Mann for inviting me to come and contribute to your current series. And we're looking at the topic of gospel, the gospel, money and possessions. I feel quite connected to King's for some fairly obvious reasons. I've been there. Obviously, I've been working with Natalie Williams in Jubilee Plus for a number of years. And I feel I've got quite a few friends in the church um, who I've got to know. So it's really nice to be with you, even though we're on video. So Andrew Bunce filled me in on the broader series you're doing, and you're now focusing in on the application of the gospel into a number of different practical areas in life. And we're looking today at money and possessions. Now, context is really important here. Because the way we think about our finances and our possessions is very often focused on just our experience. And I find context really helps me. There's two contexts that I just want to mention to you um, at the beginning. First is a historical context. When we look back in time to um, maybe 100 years ago in this country, or if you're from another country, from the context in your in your country, in background, we will notice that in almost every part of the world, we are now much more materially rich than our forefathers were in previous generations. My great-grandfather was a coal miner in Yorkshire, and he married, had a young family, and he was uh, killed in an industrial accident in his 30s or 40s, leaving my great-grandmother as a widow with young children absolutely destitute before the welfare state had developed. And she was uh, uh, taken care of by a local uh, a clergyman, Anglican minister, who, who looked after the family, got her a job, helped the children with education. So my grandfather, one of her children, was able to get a reasonable education which gave him a step forward in his life. Now, when I compare my life circumstances with that background a hundred years ago or so, it's just so fundamentally different. But at a general level, there's more disposable income available now for most people than at any time in the history of our country. So we just need to keep our context in mind. Now, of course, that doesn't apply to everyone who's listening to this video. I'm talking generally. There are, of course, many people for whom that isn't true in their immediate circumstances. The other context I find helpful is a kind of geographical context, just to remember that Britain is still one of the richest countries in the world in terms of our standard of living. And this just mitigates that sense of um, discontent that can so easily be stirred up by our materialistic culture. Now, I want to just talk to you a little bit, very honestly and openly, about how I have approached this issue my own life and with my wife, Jane, in our family life and uh, over uh, three decades and more. She grew up in Africa in very simple circumstances as a child of a missionary family. And I've had experience living in poor countries in different parts of the world in earlier parts of my life. And these things have shaped the way we think about material 
living and our possessions. We've always budgeted carefully, avoided debt, tried to have money to give away and be ready to give money, saved a little bit, um, made giving to our local church a priority, like the first item in your budget rather than the last item. I always found that helpful. And always think twice about the projected sense of need that comes over from the media, from advertising culture in our society. And so these are values that we've sought to cultivate in our family life over many, many years. In a way, you could describe this as prioritizing uh, living relatively simply, or perhaps living viably in our society. So that's the kind of general approach from which I have um, viewed this issue at a personal and a family level um, over many years. But the foundation for today is much deeper than that. The foundation today is uh, about the kind of biblical framework. And the gospel is the priority in this, in this series. The life of Jesus, therefore, is our foundation. And so I'm just going to spend a few minutes reflecting on uh, something in Jesus's teaching which I find helpful. And by the way, if you want to think about materialism, the best way to do it is to read the Gospels. And particularly, I would recommend actually either Matthew or Luke, who in different ways look at this issue, particularly Luke, very, very closely. And we find quite challenging realities in the Gospels in terms of the way that Jesus lives, his disciples live, and Jesus teaches uh, concerning the foundations of the church and its attitude towards material possessions, which is our topic today. So here's the context. Early in Jesus' ministry, after he'd toured around Galilee, healing the sick, preaching, going in and out of the synagogues, going to different towns and gathering disciples, there was a key moment when he appointed 12 apostles. He went up a mountain, spent the night up the mountain, and out of a variety of different apostles who'd gather, uh, disciples who'd gathered to him, he chose 12 apostles. And this is recorded uh, in Mark's gospel and also notably in Luke chapter 6. And at the end of that moment, it's like the formation of his discipleship community. It's a formation moment. At the end of that moment, Luke in chapter six records that he immediately began to teach. And it turns out that teaching in Luke six is exactly parallel to the Sermon on the Mount and was probably the same occasion. So the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five to seven, is the foundation text of Christian discipleship. Everything else emanates from that in terms of the application of faith to practical living. So, turning to the more expanded version, not so much Luke 6, but Matthew 5 to 7, which is a parallel passage with more material in it. And being aware that Jesus had chosen 12 apostles and now he immediately begins to teach them and his other disciples. We find very interestingly in the Sermon on the Mount that money and possessions is a central theme. Now, it's not a theme we're very comfortable with in, in this country. 
and in our culture and in our churches. But it's a theme we really have to get to grips with if we want to get closer to the biblical narrative and the biblical form of discipleship. We find, for example, that Jesus in Matthew chapter uh, 6 speaks about three different spiritual disciplines. One is prayer. That might seem very obvious. The second is fasting. Not something we're so comfortable with, but still very biblical. And the third one is giving to the poor. So he actually teaches his disciples how to give to the poor. And his basic point is don't do it to impress other people. Just do it because your father leads you and do it for his pleasure and glory and for the blessing of the people you're serving. He actually teaches about giving money away to needy people in the first foundational teaching about Christian discipleship that he gives to his apostles and other disciples. Wow. It must be important. But he goes on. And I'm coming now to well-known but important passage that follows on very shortly after what I've described to you. And this is the text for today. And it's Matthew 6 verses 19 to 24. Well-known but not often well applied. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye of the lamp is, uh, is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now this passage can induce guilt and can be turned into a form of moralism and all rules very easily. But that's not really the right approach to this passage. It obviously contains a warning. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. In other words, don't accumulate things that you don't need that are just there purely for your comfort. Now, that's quite a challenging reality. Verse 19. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? What is treasure in heaven? It's reward in eternity for faithfulness in this life. Now, he says that whatever you invest in heaven, in the kingdom of God, will never lose its value, but whatever you invest on earth will ultimately um, you know, rot away or be taken from you, or he says in other places, you'll lose it when you die anyway. So he's encouraging an investment. Now, I think this is a wonderful way of talking about money and possessions. Rather than do's and don'ts and rules and regulations, which never really work and they can't be applied equally to everybody anyway, and they induce comparison, which isn't really helpful. He goes right to the heart and he talks about motivation. Store up treasures in heaven. You're looking to invest in something better than materialism. That's the 
message of the Sermon on the Mount, and it's accentuated in the famous verse in uh, verse 33 of the same chapter, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The only real antidote to materialism that I can see in scripture is to invest in something greater and better, more enduring, more satisfying, more purposeful, more powerful, more transformative. And the only thing that that could be is the kingdom of God, the coming of the kingdom of God in this world, which we need to apply our material possessions to, as well as our hearts and our time and our prayer and our evangelism and our spiritual gifts. Now, this for me has been the most helpful thing. As Christ has got hold of my heart over the years, I've found it easier to part with material things. Still difficult. It's always going to be difficult because our culture is pulling, pulling us in the other direction and fear can get hold of us and faith is required. But as I keep my eyes on what I'm investing in, then I'm willing to let go of things for his kingdom. Now, some examples. The one I've given earlier on is really important. Giving directly to people in need. Now, all households and families and individual Christians should have in mind actively the possibility of giving to people in need. Some people I know actually keep just a small sum of money set aside in their accounts, which isn't designated to anyone. It's just designated to uh, giving as need arises, emergencies and need in other people. And then as soon as the need comes, they've got something to give. But seeking first the kingdom of God in the New Testament context is primarily an investment in your local church community as the means of advancing the kingdom in your area, preaching Christ, making disciples, caring for the needy, and making Christ known in the community. So it is appropriate that if we want the gospel to advance, that we invest in our local church community. And also we'll, we'll have things we, we want to invest in, which are particular charities or particular missions. And also we want to use our possessions not just by giving money away, but by using the resources we've got to share with other people. Cars that they may need for lifts and, and, uh, and for traveling. Homes where hospitality can be offered. Other material resources that we've got. To think of them as a means of, of sharing rather than just a means of our own comfort. And so this text encourages us to think radically about the culture around us and our own expectations. One family I know who recently paid off their mortgage and their children had left home, uh, the husband and wife decided, well, you know, we've got more available money now. And they decided very interestingly to cap their standard of living at that point. 
They thought we don't want our standard of living to ever go up anymore because we've got what we need. We've just got more we can share with others. Now that's very counterintuitive in our culture, but entirely in line with the biblical focus here. Jesus says in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. And he talks about healthy eyes as opposed to unhealthy eyes. And this good eyesight is a metaphor for loyalty to God, the priority of God. And loyalty to God and putting his kingdom first, as verse 33 says, helps us to get our material possessions in perspective. So Christian discipleship requires us to reflect on our lifestyle and possessions. And in some cases, people who are distracted in this area and become involved in a more materialistic way of thinking are not able to give to the church time, money and creative energy because they're so involved in building up extra aspects of their lifestyle that aren't strictly necessary but are purely for comfort. So there's a challenge here and as you read through the Gospels you find this challenge comes again and again from Jesus. He's quite unambiguous in saying you cannot serve both God and money. The gospel interacts with this subject in a very direct way. So as I come to a conclusion, there are no rules and regulations. This is a matter of heart. This is a matter of reading the scriptures and reflecting on them ourselves. But I want to encourage you to come along this journey a stage further. And uh, at Jubilee Plus, the organisation I work uh, with Natalie in, uh, as you know, most of you, uh, we have been writing books and the latest book will have been advertised to you. Here it is again, A Call to Act. And this invites us to reflect on our lifestyle and develop some of the themes in the talk that I've given to you this morning. So if you haven't seen this book or you haven't engaged with it, here's another encouragement to do so. Read the Gospels, have a look at this book as a resource and have the courage in an appropriate context to talk to your Christian friends, people you trust, about lifestyle issues and see where God's leading you. Now, obviously, some people are in very difficult positions financially at the moment, so I'm going to conclude with a comment about that. Clearly, the main things I'm uh, speaking about here are applicable to people who have a degree of security in their finances. Not everybody does, and I'm acutely aware of that, and that will apply in your church as well. So in cases like that, this teaching can be implied in a different way, by which those who have more help those who have less, and we share together in the broader Christian community. And this is one way in which we indicate our discipleship and our family community together to the outside world. I want to thank you for listening to this short talk. Thank you to Paul for inviting me to join you uh, this Sunday morning by video. And I'd love to come and see the church again in person sometime. I don't know when and if that may happen, 
But God bless you in Hastings at King's. And thanks for listening to this talk today.